Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good? What's good? What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back after a long weekend the NFL draft, the Raiders draft. We are so happy to be back live in the huddle. Brought to Tila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Monday. After the draft, the Raiders got after it. I thought they did a, a good job maneuvering up and down the board. Uh, it wasn't a sexy draft, um, you know, in terms of positions and pizzazz and all that. But remember... The sexy of this draft is a guy by the name of Devontae Adams, and that was the headliner of this draft. From rounds three to round seven, the five picks that the Raiders had, we wondered how many picks they would turn those five picks into. At various times, they had seven picks in their possession, sometimes I think eight, uh, but they eventually worked their way back to six overall picks. Uh, I thought Dave Ziegler and his group did a really good job of moving up and down the board to go get players um, that they felt are going to come in here and compete for jobs, and that's the best thing you can say or do when it comes to any draft. None of this is an exact science. There's a, you know, Las Vegas was the perfect place for the draft because there is some gamble uh, to it. You're not going to, you know, uh, uh, hit on every single pick, but you want to continually stack as deep drafts as possible, come away with as many good players as possible to put onto your roster, get them on the field and see who's going to be able to compete for jobs, who's going to be able to be an asset, who's a development project, who's going to be able to step in like Nate Hobbs did last year and start from day one. There will probably be a player in this draft that fits that bill. My money right now is on Dylan Parham, uh, the young guard from Memphis. I also think uh, that uh, that the Raiders hit on a couple of defensive linemen that I think are going to have a chance to compete rotationally uh, early on. We want your thoughts, 702-365-9200. We've got a stack show with us, uh, or coming up today, 430. Uh, our good friend Evan Barnes, a, a guy that I've known for a long time, uh, working with him in Los Angeles. Uh, he now works in Memphis, and he knows Dylan Farham really well. So he's going to come in at 4.30 to talk about Dylan. Uh, and then at 5 o'clock from USA Today, Nate Davis is going to come in and wrap up the draft, not just from the Raiders' perspective, but from the NFL's perspective. It was a completely non-quarterback draft. We suspected that coming in. Um, I think anyone that drafted a quarterback high in this draft, and not many did, obviously, uh, had either a, a desperate need for quarterback or just felt strongly about who they took. Uh, no surprise, I predicted this. Um, I thought Malik Willis had the biggest upside of this draft, um, but he was not the first quarterback taken. And what does that tell you? I don't think anyone... It, 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 to me, talking to people in the league, it just didn't feel like these quarterbacks had first-round grades or even second-round grades for that matter. Uh, and you were going to have to be in a really, really either convicted position on your guy if you were going to draft him high or just feel like, you know what, it's not the year to take a quarterback in the first couple of rounds. Uh, that might be something that you'd turn back to next year or hope later in the draft, like a Malik Willis, uh, Matt Corral, some of these guys um, that are going to pay off down the road. But we'll see. As we said, 
Las Vegas was the perfect place for the draft. Why? Because this is a gamble. And who knows? Maybe Malik Willis steps into a starting role uh, in Carolina right off the bat, uh, and all of a sudden everyone's wondering, why did he last so long? For him, I hope that's the case. Is that... Yeah, so, um, but regardless, we're going to talk about it uh, all all throughout today. We want your call, 702-365-9200. Reminder, this half of Inside the Huddle is sponsored by the Neuropathy and Pain Center of Las Vegas. There's nothing worse than living in chronic pain with little hope. Neuropathy and Pain Centers of Las Vegas offers genuine relief from even the most severe and persistent forms of pain. Call their office today or book an appointment online to find out how to live as pain-free a life as possible. Please call them at 725 Three seven three nine eight seven nine. We want your call seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred. Who was your favorite player picked? Um, what's the strength of this Raiders draft? Do you feel like there's going to be some guys that are going to be able to contribute um, early on? Were there some surprises? I'm sure. Uh, you know, there there's probably some head scratching going on with the running backs. Two running backs uh, in probably the most crowded room on the Raiders roster right now. But if you read between the lines, and this goes back all the way to you know when we met with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler at the owners' meetings, and even at the scouting combine, running back is a volatile position. It's a physical position. Just think about Josh Jacobs. He has not been able to play a season or get through a season without some sort of injury or out. Kenyon Drake last year lost for the season, um, you know, at a certain point during the year. So it's a volatile position. You need maximum amount of bodies. You also, Daniels brought up um, in his press conference, you want to be able to cover all your bases. You know, you have a running back that fills this particular need or that particular need uh, or does this, a big physical running back. Um, You just need bodies to get you through a season. So no doubt, Adding two more running backs after adding two running backs in free agency and a fullback. It's a crowded room. It's going to be a spirited competition. Obviously, Josh Jacobs, he had to plan for that. He didn't get his fifth-year option picked up. His future at this point is tenuous at best with the Raiders. He'll be here probably uh, throughout this season. But after that, it's anybody's guess. And Kenyon Drake fits that bill as well. He's only on a one-year deal, uh, or this is the last year of his contract. So you have to prepare not just for this year, but for the future, and I feel like uh, the Raiders did that in this draft. A couple of offensive linemen, a couple of defensive tackles, uh, as we mentioned, a, a couple of running backs. So uh, the, the guard, I think, is going to have a chance to come in, Dylan Parham, and, and maybe start right away. The question of what position he plays, we'll get a better idea uh, talking to Evan about that. I hear center. I don't know. I think Andre James played well enough down the stretch uh, to to earn another year at center, but maybe, you know, uh, the, the Raiders see that thing a little bit differently. And I know talking to, to Dave Ziegler, talking to Josh McDaniels, the key is going to find the best five players out there. And I would suggest to Raider fans, don't fall in love with anybody, <laughs> you know, or don't have your guy. Like that's my guy and be closed off to other guys because, and we're going to hear from Josh McDaniels in a little bit about staying true to the plan if your plan going in is to be open-minded and play the best five players along the offensive line, then that's that's the plan. And ec- go execute it and be open to whatever uh, plays out from that point on. Be open to rolling in that direction. Don't go in with favorites. Don't go in with any preconceived ideas. Don't go in leaning toward this direction or that direction. Stick to a plan to give everybody a fair shot and then let the play, the level of play, dictate Whatever that answer might be. And at this point, 
it's all wide open. Colton Miller's a left tackle. Beyond that, I can't sit here and say that any other position is solidified. Hearing what people are saying about Dylan, uh, Dylan Parham, he's liable to be the starting center just as he is a starting guard. So everybody is on notice on that offensive line. Colton Miller, I think, is pretty safe. But beyond that, um, it's anybody's battle to win. We're going to go out to the Realty One Group listener line. Dino from New York is on the line. How you doing, Dino? Good, Vincent. How are you? I'm doing really well, thanks. Good. Uh, what I'm really looking forward to is uh, seeing how uh, Coach Brasillo, the O-line coach, works with this group. Uh, New England, he, he came from New England, and they've traditionally had a very good offensive line there without a lot of big-name players. They've, they've coached them up really well there. Uh, I don't know if Brasillo ever worked with Dante Skarnecchia in the past. Yes, he because, did. Well, that's that's a real good sign for us because Skarnecchia always put out a tremendous line. He was a, a great teacher. <clears throat> the one thing I also wanted to touch on was um, it, it looks like with some of these defensive tackle uh, draft picks, which I like both of them, I think they're going to play a 3-4 a lot. Uh, you know, with uh, Farrell being a huge nose in the mold of Vince Woolfork. Um, if we're going to be rushing um, Max and uh, Chandler from a linebacker spot, how much will they be uh, in coverage? That, that's what I'm a little bit concerned with on the D. But I, 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 like, the, I like the attention shown to the, uh, the D line, the trenches. That's where you win these games. Yeah, uh, I agree uh, without with, without a doubt, and um, I think the the you know the offensive line, and when you're talking about uh, the new offensive uh, line coach and their philosophy, and you brought up a good point about the Patriots always having a pretty good line, um, and they coach them up really well. And what's interesting because I I literally looked back yesterday just to double check because you know looking at the Raiders picking up an offensive tackle uh, in Thayer Munford. Uh, in the seventh round, obviously uh, picking up Dylan Parham uh, in the third round. Uh, you know that's where the Raiders' starting point was yesterday because of the trade for De- uh, for, for uh, Devonte Adams. However, if you look at the history of the Patriots and how they draft offensive linemen, what's interesting is more that often than not they're getting their guys well beyond the first round. So they do a good job, and a lot of times your offensive line coach plays a huge role in this because that's your your once the season ends you're putting your offensive line coach uh into that process evaluation process uh and then letting them hey who who go 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 work with the scouts go work with everyone that's been on this for you know more than a year now let's go find some guys that you feel comfortable with bringing in here knowing what the skill set is needed uh, the intelligence level all of those types of things um and and go find a couple of guys that you feel we can work with moving forward whether it's to start this year uh, or to be a starter down the road. Uh, and I, I have no doubt that Carmen Brasillo had a big say in who the Raiders drafted because coming from the lineage uh, that he learned under, and so he was only there for a few years, so it's not like he was embedded in the uh, Patriot system, but Josh McDaniels certainly was. Um, and and so, you know, there's a way that they've gone about it in New England where they're able to build really good offensive lines, drafting those players and those prospects beyond the first round and getting them into a a developmental program and getting them ready, whether it's early or a little bit down the road, 
eventually the hope is you're going to have a starting caliber player. And I was surprised uh, that Thayer Munford was there in the seventh round. I think the Raiders were as well. That was really good value, uh, the big offensive tackle from Ohio State. And I, and I feel like uh, Dylan Parham, with his versatility, because he's played as has uh, Thayer, Thayer played guard, he played tackle, um, uh, Dylan played guard. He played tackle. He played some center uh, in the senior bowl. T- uh, players or teams were looking at him as, hey, you kind of got that center body and that intelligence and that quickness and that anchor. Uh, let's let's see you take some snaps at center. And he did. And there's a lot of people who feel like that's his best position. So we'll see how it goes. But when you look at the Raiders draft and you see kind of where they – what they identified, how they went about their business – the fact that they drafted two running backs, uh, a couple of defensive tackles, sort of build along the lines of what Pat- Patrick Graham wants to do, a versatile uh, couple of offensive linemen. It was pretty obvious that the Raiders did their best to stay true to that plan. And they've talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. Don't look at the depth chart as much as you do figuring out or, or when it gets to your turn – Who's our highest rated player here? Who is our highest graded player uh, at this point in the draft? And pulling the trigger on that player, even if there's not necessarily a need at that position. And you can obviously see that in action in what they did at running back. Zamir White, who I loved at Georgia, I didn't think that they were going to go running back right there. I felt like they had other quote-unquote needs, but they rolled the dice on Zamir and bring him into a crowded room and then doubled up with Britton Brown, the running back from UCLA, um, in the seventh round. And so that tells you that they were staying true to their board. And I think it's important to understand that and to understand why because I think teams far too often, and I'm going to say the Raiders were guilty of this in the past at times, is you have a plan, and you talk about it, and you talk about it, and you talk about it, and then you get to the draft, or you get to free agency. Heck, sometimes you get to a game. And look, there's no question you have to be adaptable. You have to be flexible. You have to be open to maneuvering and pivoting and transitioning and just being alert and thinking on your feet and and moving in real time. You have to be able to do all of those things. But it makes it a lot easier And you're less flailing around when you're operating off the plan that you put in place. Too many people, too many teams, life in general, you just, you you, you promise yourself you're going to do something. You plan for what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. You talk about it. You think about it. uh, You put it in place. And then at the first sign of whatever, you abandon the plan. Why do you have a plan if you're just going to abandon it and not follow it? Stay true to the plan. And I asked Josh McDaniels about what kind of discipline does it take to do that when you can also look at your roster and say, hey, um, gosh, we need a tackle. Gosh, we need a a linebacker. Uh, And get sucked into that rather than staying true to the plan. Here's Josh McDaniels. I think once you make the decision to do that, I think really it starts a long time prior to the draft beginning. And and understanding what it is you're – when you say that, what does it mean, you know? Um, when we take the quote-unquote best player, each each organization is going to evaluate these players differently, and we're not all going to have the same grades on the same players. We understand that, and we try to do the best we can of evaluating what the player would be for the Raiders. It doesn't really matter what they would be for any other team. It's in our system, the way we saw the players, the way we scouted them, the way we evaluate them, the way we would use them. 
um, this is the grade that was on that player, and that there's a lot of work that goes into each grade. And so when you trust the work and then you get to the draft and you say, listen, it's the best thing to do for us is to add the best players we can. You know, and if you understand that from the beginning, the process itself is kind of simplistic. Um, you know, I'm not saying that there's not guys with the same grade and you have to make a choice, but, you know, when you really follow it and you say, listen, let's take the best players that we graded that we thought all year long, uh, you know, gave us the best opportunity to, to improve our football team, that's what we try to do each step of the way. And, you know, I think we're happy with – look, every, every spot on our team is going to have competition. You know, whether we drafted somebody or didn't draft somebody, there's competition at every spot on the team. You know, I don't care what the what the spot is, you know, and that's what we've we've tried to do that, you know, in each spot that we could, free agency, draft. We'll continue to try to do that. Dave and his staff are going to comb the college free agent thing. We're going to go into, you know, the summer, and we're still going to try to do that. So that won't ever stop. That's Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels. Uh, that was actually yesterday or Saturday, I should say, losing track of my day, Saturday over at the uh, Raiders um, uh, facility. And I thought it was a really astute answer. And I really feel like Raider Nation, Raider fans uh, should be thrilled <laughs> by that answer because it was so layered and so uh, matter of fact. Um, and, and really, it, it, it provides a glimpse into the prudent way that this group and this leadership group of, of Dave Ziegler, Champ Kelly, Josh McDaniels, all of the coaching, you know, on the, on the coaching end and on the personnel end, um, and, and, and melding that philosophy. And you don't, it just, it, it befuddles me sometimes when people, teams, whatever the case might be, talk about having a plan uh, in place. And at the earliest sign of whatever. You, obviously, again, you have to be adaptable. You have to be flexible. Uh, opportunities are going to kind of, excuse me, come about where uh, teams are calling you, um, you know, to trade up, to trade down, and being open to all of that and being organized. But as long as you have that foundation um, of a plan and a game plan of something that, and and basically a mandate that when it comes to our turn. We're going to look at our board. We're going to figure out who the highest player, highest graded player is at that point. And that's basically where we're going to go. Now, as, as Josh McDaniels pointed out, sometimes you're going to come into a situation where, okay, there's four players that are graded exactly the same. You have, you know, a 5.9 or a starter or a backup or whatever, the, whatever grading system you're talking about. And some, that's sometimes where you go, okay, there's a wide receiver, there's a tackle, uh, there's a safety, and there's a quarterback. At that point, when you're talking about that grouping of players, of course your, um, you know, your roster is going to come into play at that point. And so you'll probably end up uh, drafting best player available need at that point. But all things being equal, if the quarterback or the running back was rated higher, and we saw this a couple of times in the draft, then the defensive tackle or then the linebacker, you're going to draft the running back. You're going to draft Zamir White. You're going to draft Britton Brown uh, from UCLA. Even though coming into the draft, you can make the argument that the last thing the Raiders really needed, at least for this year, was another running back. But there are a couple of things to keep in mind about that running back position. Again, you've got Kenyon Drake going into the last year of his contract, and theoretically, essentially, Josh Jacobs going into the last year of his contract, too. So, you know, when, when teams talk about filling needs in free agency for the present and the future in 
in the draft, you have to look at things like who's going to be on the roster this time next year, who's guaranteed to be on the roster this time next year in terms of their contract. And when you look at the running back room, while there are a lot of bodies, there's not a lot of longevity to those bodies. A lot of those guys are playing on the last years of their contract. In fact, only Brandon Bolden, who the Raiders signed for the New England Patriots, is under contract next year. So it was one of those sneaky positions that might not look like a need, but when you dig a little bit deeper, actually was a need. We're going to go out to the Realty One Group listener line. Raider Rod is on the line. How you doing, Raider Rod? Hey, Vinny. How's it going? How are you doing today? Good, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Uh, man, it was, a, it was a great draft weekend. I got to take my son out and enjoy the festivities. We had an amazing time. Um, quickly, what I wanted to get to on the draft is, um, you know what? I give it a C. Can't give it any more than a C right now because, well, they mostly stayed pat, and instead of being aggressive forward, they were aggressive to fall backwards. So to me, that's a C. Um, if these guys pan out, fantastic, great. That's what we hope for. That's what they're supposed to do. But um, you're not going to get extra credit for going backwards, at least not for me. I loved what they've done. But um, you know what? Well, they actually did go. They went backwards and forwards. There were well, you know what? They went backwards to go forwards. That's like standing still a little bit, in my opinion. And then, again, the only takeaway that I have is that um, it sucks for guys. uh, Josh is is, um, a Raider. Uh, You know, once a Raider, always a Raider. Josh is a Raider. He's the kind of Raider that we like. Um, And it sucks because the writing is... Very clear. If you can't, if you're Alex Weatherwood and Josh Jacobs today, I'm sure the message has been sent loud and clear, like a big spitball thrown in your face. Um, you're up. You're on notice. Your job is definitely something we're looking at. Not just today, not just this draft weekend, but while we were at minicamp and while you are doing whatever you think is your free time, if you're not getting better, you're finding your way off this team. That was the clear message that I saw. I, I, um, as far as yeah. the rest of the guys, I, I'm sorry, Vinny, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, as no, far good. as the, the other guys, you know, um, I like the defensive linemen. I think there is some value there. Um, the offensive linemen, man, they were third and fourth round offensive linemen. So, again, um, I'd be willing to give it a better grade, but at this point, we went backwards to go one step forward, kind of like staying still. I feel like a C is where they're at. And if these guys can produce the way they expect them to produce, I, you know what, they in fourth-round picks. I can't say that we got some great value because there was great meat left on the bone, and instead of being aggressively up, we went aggressively down first. So that's my opinion, Vinny. Thank you. I hear you. I gave it a B plus. Uh, that was the, genuinely the uh, the consensus from from what I could see from the quote unquote experts. Look, we're not going to really know for a couple of years where this draft really stacks up. Um, and also, when you're assessing this draft, you have to throw in Devonte Adams. He was a draft pick theoretically in this draft. They gave up two draft picks to go get him. Um, and and I, I gotta push back a little bit. I don't think Josh Jacobs is on notice. I think everyone's thinking he's on notice. You're putting him on notice. I think the fact is the Raiders moving forward are, are pretty much going to value the running back position 
this kind of way. You know, um, it's not so much a performance issue with Josh Jacobs. He's performed well enough. This is a guy that ran for 2,000 yards or the first back since, what, Marcus Allen, I think, to put together back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. I don't think anyone would blame the dip in production last year on Josh Jacobs. There was a plan in place for Josh Jacobs last year. If you look at his carries, they're down uh, from the the, the two years uh, prior to that. There was a reason for that. They were trying to get him through the season. It actually worked. He was as healthy as he's ever been down the stretch of this season. I don't think it's a performance thing whatsoever with Josh Jacobs. It's more just a money thing and yes, how you how you allot also- your money. And uh, hold on, hold on. It's it's how you allot your money. I think moving forward, I don't think you're going to – I think it's going to be rare that you see running backs with the Raiders signed to big second t- second contracts. Go ahead. But I think that is the notice because, as you said, that yeah, but, performance uh, – Vinny, just, like, just put it into – Okay, like, but don't put it on – it's not a performance thing. They're saying yeah, – hey, I'm saying it's not a performance thing. Good. He's performed like – But 3, that's what he was saying. Like, you better – you better – you better – you better brace up. You better be better. I don't think in Josh's case that's the case. Three years, 3,000 yards, but – Yes, you know, he's performed well enough. The new boss has come in. Hey, Vinny, love your work. You've been great for the past three years. Oh man, but I think we're, the writing's on the wall that you're gonna well, that you're not coming back next season. Well, what did I do wrong? You're actually too good at the job, right? Okay. We don't want to pay you, you that go. much, and it's. It just that, sucks. That, in Alex's case, obviously, it's a performance thing. You got to come ready to compete. You got to be better. That's the bottom line with Alex Leatherwood. I think with Josh Jacobs, I, I'm just I'm just clarifying the message that's being sent here. It's not you better be better. He's been damn good as a running back for the Raiders, without question. It's as you said, you're just probably outpricing yourself from what we deem. Uh, the 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 appropriate amount of money at that position. Now there might be a time where the Raiders get a guy like Adrian Peterson, and you're gonna ha- or a Todd Gurley. He's kind of a bad example because he got hurt, um, but a guy that's so dynamic and so good um, and so terrific that he earns that second contract. But man, I I honestly think Devon, it's going to be few and far between when you see running backs get that second contract. They are going to continually just like it in New England, they're going to continually draft guys, get the most that they can out of them on their rookie deals and then go replace them with another draft pick. Zamir White uh is the heir apparent as we speak today to Josh to Josh uh um uh, Jacobs. Now it sucks on one level, and it's not an easy decision. And I think that uh, Josh McDaniels brought that up on Friday night. Look, there's tough decisions in this business. You continually, continually in the NFL have to say goodbye to good players because of the way the salary cap system is set up. So for Josh, no, definitely no message about performance. It's just a message of... That's the way the world works sometimes with running backs and with finances and the way things are set up right now. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio uh, in the huddle on a Monday. And when we get back, we're going to go out to Memphis and talk about Dylan Parham from a guy who knows him really well and Evan Barnes and maybe even talk a little bit of Grizzlies basketball. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Very quickly going out to the Realty One Group listener line, 502 Raider D wants to talk about the Raiders and the draft. How you doing, my brother? How's it going, gentlemen? How's it going? Doing good. Um, listen, man, I tell you the truth, and I'm, I'm not really surprised I'm saying this. I liked our draft, man, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. I like some of the undrafted free agents we brought in because one thing we did not do is we did not draft a lot of uh, 
DBs and safety help, but we did in, you know, with, with, with the UDF gentlemen, we did, uh, draft the free agents, we did get some really good guys. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. We got two guys that, that held from Louisville, Kentucky, um, that are, that, 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 that may possibly make this team. And I, I'm very, very excited about where we're going. I, I tell my guys in my booster club all the time, like, you got to trust the process. And, and they're like, well, why don't we get this guy when we could have had this and we got another defensive tackle? And I'm like, Dude, they told you straight up, we're going to draft the best guy available according to our board. There's, it's not any smoke and mirror. It's what they did when they were in New England, and they built phenomenal good teams, not necessarily top-heavy as far as, you know, outstanding Pro Bowl players. They drafted guys that came in and fit that system, and they won Super Bowls. I trust that process. And, if we, and, we, and we as a nation, we've been through so many years of not being good and not being great and outstanding we deserve this. So, you know, I tell the fans, man, allow yourself to deserve what we have coming and trust what these guys are doing because they have a process that they're going to follow and it's going to make us better. It's a great call, and uh, I'm right there with you. Between Dave Ziegler, Josh McDaniels, and Champ Kelly, there's an intelligent approach to what the Raiders are doing right now. No disrespect to anybody that's been here previously, but this is a little bit more of a next-level approach, and I think if you stick with it, the results will um, will, will reflect that. It might not. You're not going to hit on every pick, but the more you draft BPAs, the better off you're going to be in the long run, and the deeper and better your team's going to be in the long run. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation uh, guest line and welcome in a good friend, an L.A. Daily News, uh, fellow L.A. Daily News uh, alum. He is now based in Memphis uh, and works for the Memphis Commercial Appeal, covering a lot of things in Memphis, but specifically doing a lot of work with the Memphis uh, Grizzlies and our guy, Damon, my producer from Memphis, uh, I'm sure wants to hear about the good things that are happening with the Grizzlies. Uh, out to the Nation uh, uh, listener line, Evan Barnes, how you doing, my friend? Vinny, it is good to hear your voice, brother. How you doing? I'm doing really well. And before we go any further, um, Evan and I talk a lot uh, on Twitter uh, in DM form, DM manner, and we've been known to trade back and forth music, uh, some, some music, you know, uh, recommendations. And I feel pretty good because, Evan, I, I've turned you on to some old cameo and to some old 80s funk, not just, you know, the disco. People sometimes misconstrue what was going on in the 80s and 70s, but there was some great music going on, and you're much younger than I am. I feel pretty good about being able to pass along some knowledge to you. And I, here, I, I'm going to say this, too. I appreciate the openness in listening to it and appreciating it. Man, you, first of all, I have to give you credit for the cameo because as a, as a young fellow, my cameo knowledge is, is limited to some of the hits and some funk stuff I picked up. But you put me on to some other good old school funk stuff, man, that I really appreciate. And so thank you. And that's how you got to be, man. Whether you're a reporter or a music fan, the more open-minded you are, the more better you will be consuming it. So that's just my way. And then we, we got to have another conversation one of these days. Yes. I'm I've been playing some Zap lately. Oh, so. all right. I like it. Uh, I'm on a mission now, so uh, I'll try to hook you up as much as I can. That's, they have a great story, by the way, uh, Zap does. Uh, really influential back in Ohio, which is a lot of great music came from Ohio. Um, and so they're as influential as, as can be there. So we'll get on that, uh, Evan, uh, at a later time. But we brought you on for a couple of different reasons. Uh, obviously, the Grizzlies are doing their thing. It's one of the more fascinating, young, fun teams out there. I want to get your thoughts uh, on the young Grizzlies. But specifically, after the draft and the Raiders in the third round, pull the trigger on uh, Dylan Parham. I know you have uh, a lot of knowledge about him. Uh, first and foremost, when he showed up at Memphis, was there the idea 
that Dylan was going to eventually become this? Because it sounds like it was a, a winding road for him from his freshman year as a redshirt to what he ultimately became. Yeah, so Dylan Parham came to Memphis as a tight end. Um, <laughs> he came in as a tight end recruit, and he came in 2017, so the, the summer, the fall before I got to Memphis. But basically, he was a tight end. They couldn't figure out how to use him there. They tried to move him to the defensive line. It didn't work out there. And as the story goes, the offensive line coach, Ryan Sewerfield, who's now the head coach, basically said, hey, I want him on the offensive line. I can find something to do with him. So they moved him to offensive line in spring 2018 when I get, you know, my first spring covering the team. And Dylan Parham all of a sudden is now getting reps at left guard with the starters. Uh, now, mind you, they had, I believe, four starters back on that line. So you put a, a redshirt freshman in there. And you're like, who's never played a lot before? And you're like, how's this going to work? Well, four years later, it worked with him starting every single game over the last four years and being all conference. So this is a young man who is versatile. He's athletic. He played three different positions on the old line. Um, he was being looked at as a center during the pre-draft process. So this is somebody who's a quick learner who's used to changing positions, but is very flexible enough to say, hey, whatever role you need me for, I will do it, and I will find a way to make it work. So uh, the Raiders are getting somebody who is a very versatile, still-developing player whose best days are probably ahead of him. Yeah, I agree. And when you when you uh, recite that the way you uh, just did in terms of the moving around and where he came, you know what he was when he came in to what he became, uh, and and there were some steps along that way. First, uh, first and foremost, I'm thinking athlete playing tight end, then going to defense. They saw some athletic ability there, obviously. Uh, was able to take that trait to guard, but also smart and intelligent to be able to pick things up. I mean, you don't normally go from one position to the other side of the ball to them becoming a starter within, what, uh, almost just over a calendar year. So talk about his adaptability and, and, the, and the willingness to change, but also being smart and intelligent enough to be able to grasp two completely different positions and sides of the ball. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, when I talked to his I talked to his high school coach, because basically when he was a tight end in high school his senior year, he had switched positions from linebacker to tight end as a junior to senior. So he was already used to all this shuffling around, and at first he didn't like it, but then he realized that, hey, I have a chance to have a better future, you know, being a tight end. And then, oh, a year and a half later, you see you have a future on the offensive line. And... It speaks to the fact that he's obviously got great footwork. He's, you know, great, very athletic. He's very strong with his hands. Um, playing tight end, his high school coach told me basically he sees how it helped him with the offensive line. You know, having to like, you know, measure up, measure up, you know, team block and all this other things. So it speaks really to kind of how Dylan Parham is just very smart, very adaptable. And Ryan Silver said, you know, it's rare to see a guy move from left guard to right tackle to right guard. But that's what Dylan Parham did, and they were prepared in the scene, in the uh, Hawaii Bowl before it was canceled. Uh, they had him taking reps at center just in case. So it's really interesting that somebody who has to move around so much was able to thrive in a position, and he's still learning. I mean, he's only played offensive line for pretty much four years, so he's got more learning and going to do. But for somebody who was able to be one of the best linemen in the AAC his final year playing right guard for the first time, I think Raiders fans should be hopeful that you can develop and groom him into something that can be special and hopefully, you know, two to three years. 
We're talking to Evan Barnes from the uh, Memphis Commercial Appeal. Uh, you could follow him at Evan underscore B. Uh, all right, so um, here's a guy that played tackle. He played guard um, along the offensive line at Memphis. And then lo and behold, uh, you know, later on in the process, people are starting to think of him as, yeah, maybe he could play center. And I think the size um, and the, the physical traits definitely – um, you know, uh, have you thinking that he can pull that off without question? The intelligence is there as well. Uh, but when you look at him, uh, do you feel like there is a future at uh, at center? And do you think that um, that could be the direction that this thing goes? I think so. I mean, the, the senior bowl people put him at center, and they thought he did a great job. They thought he was really, you know, they, they identified him as a, as a center during the, the senior year. So you're looking at somebody who is um, – he can learn the position. He can develop the position. You know, the draft scouts were saying that, hey, this is somebody who can possibly contend for a starting job. Like I talked to ESPN's Todd McShay, who said his future is so bright that perhaps he can contend because of his potential. Um, it, it, it'll be interesting. I've never seen him play center. Like, we have not seen him play in a game at center. But what I think helps his case out is, again, this is somebody that has been a quick learner. He's a smart young man. He's got great strength. When he came to Memphis – he was like 250-something. He leaves Memphis like 311, so he bulked up, put on some good weight, um, and still maintained his, um, his um, you know, foot speed, if you will. And also, too, like his dad told me, Joe Parham's dad said that when he was younger, he actually played running back. So that helps give him vision to understand, hey, this is what a running back is looking for. This is what a running back needs going through the holes. Um, so you combine all those aspects, and so I think that's somebody who, could very well develop into a center if he gets time to grow and, you know, learn and get the, the fire techniques down. All right, Evan, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how life is in Memphis. My producer, Damon Cotton, who you talked to on the phone, uh, I see a guy, he grew up in Memphis, um, so I'm not going to try to fill his head uh, too big because uh, he loves talking about Memphis, and I, and I love that about him. Uh, but you're a California kid that's now uh, in Memphis. Uh, talk to us about living there, and I want to get to what's cooking at the University of Memphis. It feels like that whole sports program is moving in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, first off, uh, the Grizzlies, obviously. It, it's playoff fever, as I call it, here in the city. Um, the games at FedEx Forum have been incredible atmosphere. Um, the fans are excited. Like This is the first, you know, first time they've won a playoff series in seven years. So um, everything is a lot more exciting. A lot of Grizzly fans are getting ready. You can look around the buildings. You see signs. It really kind of reminds me of like a team that, hey, you know, you got it on the ground floor a few years ago with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. Now you're seeing them blossom to being, you know, great players leading a team that's in the second round of the playoffs. It's almost like you're watching an indie band that blows up and you're you're on for this ride. And this city who loves the party, Memphis loves the party. I'm sure your producer can attest to that. Um, if something big is happening, Memphis will turn out and show up for it. And so. <laughs> The atmosphere is great. It's it's fun. Memphis is a basketball city. They love this. The grit and grind era is beloved here as much as Jerry the King, Lawler, and wrestling. So I think what you're seeing with the, the city is Memphis is really coming alive. It's May, which is a big a big month for the city. So it's it's fun. To, to watch sports in Memphis. And uh, did you want to discuss University of Memphis too while you're at it? Well, first, I think DeMond might have a question for you. Oh, no, he hit all the he hit all the points. You know, <laughs> he was really, you know, making himself a local there. I mean, what was your first thought after a win and you heard whoop that trick playing? Were you like, yo, this place is different? Oh, I loved it. Like, <laughs> so I saw a hustle and flow when I was in college. I went, I was on a summer job. 
I went to a theater and watched it by myself, and I loved it. <laughs> and I know that's what people do here for Whoop That Trick. So <laughs> when I first played it at a game, I was excited. I was like, oh, this is Memphis. I love it. I love it. So, yes, Memphis has a unique way of getting down that is different than other cities, but it's very uniquely Memphis. And, Damon, I think you understand it. It's also very endearing and lovable. It's great. It's, it's, it's a Memphis pride that you love and you feel. So, yeah, I, I, loved, it. I loved it. Like They played it for every win that I've been in for FedEx Forum. So it's, it's real. All right, uh, Gus's world-famous fried chicken. Uh, I am a big proponent of it. Every time I went there with the Lakers or uh, the Clippers, uh, it was a must-stop. Uh, have we found a better place? Uh, and give me some food uh, ideas for Memphis. Oh, yeah, like the fried chicken. Like Gus, I'm actually sitting outside of Gus's fried chicken right now. <laughs> of course. Um, love it. <laughs> there you go. But um, there's other great fried chicken places here. Um, Uncle Lou's fried chicken is outstanding. Um, it's a great place in Whitehaven here. It's, it's a community staple. Um, it's been on the Food Network. Um, I also have to shout out Central Barbecue because it's one of the better barbecue places in the city. Um, shout out to the barbecue shop. Uh, fry, another fried chicken spot I love, Hattie B's. Even though it's a Nashville chain, I've been going there lately, so their fried chicken is, is, is pretty good. Um, but, I mean, baby, you understand. Like, the barbecue in this city, there's so many good places. Yeah. The chicken wings in Memphis are really good. Um, I'm trying to think, like, shout out to the kitchen on Jackson, Crumpies. There's a lot of, like, chicken wings and barbecue places here that are just so good that you can't name them all. And well, Damon is salivating right now. Um, he oh, is, he's, got that, he's got that look of, oh, oh. man, I got to get back home. I got to get back home. Hold on, Evan, let me ask you one thing because, you know, we're talking about Memphis and the Tiger program real quick. Why does the NCAA keep coming for people? Why can't they just let them be great? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I, I, you, you, you are a Memphian by the way you said that question. <laughs> you are a Memphian. I, one thing a Memphian do not love is the NCAA. So basically what's going on now is Penny Hardaway, the basketball coach, and the program are currently under investigation because uh, when James Wiseman, who is now with the Warriors, was playing here, um, it was discovered that um, Penny Hardaway, when he was a, not the head coach, but he, when he was a, a AAU coach, he had, you know, paid money for um, James Wise's mother, losing sense money, to move from Nashville to Memphis. And Penny Hardaway was determined to be a booster because his name is on the Athletic Hall of Fame building here. So it's really, really um, a situation where that has come back to bite Memphis. And also, when Wiseman was declared ineligible by the, by, by the NCAA before the season, or he, they said he could potentially be ineligible, um, they decided, okay, we're going to play James Wiseman and basically say, you know, we're going to get an injunction to play him and keep it going. Well, three games later, Wiseman doesn't play anymore. He isn't getting suspended for nine, and now Memphis has an investigation looming over the program. So um, it hasn't slowed down things around the basketball team. Like, they got to the second round of the tournament, they were really happy about that. It's their first time they won a tournament game, I believe, since 2014. So there is uh, still a lot of pride in Memphis basketball. Like, it is the biggest thing in the city, even more than the Grizzlies. Penny Hardaway has the program that's fired up and excited. Um, but, yeah, it, that, that cloud of the NCAA is still hanging over everything. So we'll see what happens um, with that process.
All right, Evan, before we let you get out of here, obviously a huge uh, uh, playoff series between the Grizzlies, the young Grizzlies, and uh, the uh, the grizzled old veterans uh, with the Warriors. Uh, to me, whatever happens for Memphis, this has been such a great learning experience for this team. I think they've got the brightest of futures, but you never know still what could happen uh, this year. Just uh, kind of wrap up, if you can, um, that series and, and where Memphis got to this year, regardless of what happens in this series. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're looking at a Memphis team that people expected to win maybe 40 to 45 games this year. I expected them to win that many. I did, I thought they'd get back to the play-in tournament, but they ended up having the second-best record in the NBA. John Morant has won most improved player, although he really wasn't thrilled about it because he believed he should go to his, um, his teammate Desmond Bain. Yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr., who has played really well, uh, defensive player of the year final, uh, got some votes for the player of the year. Um, they're a really, really fun team. And so now they're at this point in the second round where whatever happens against the Warriors and their experience, the Grizzlies fans will take because they recognize this team has done so much. They've achieved more than expected. And now they're trying to get stripes and earn experience to the next level. And game one, we all saw it. That was a fun, entertaining game. I mean, transition basketball, high scoring, great atmosphere down to the final seconds. I mean, this is going to be a great series, and I think what people should know about the Grizzlies is watch this team because you're going to want to know about them over the next few years. They are fun. They are talented. John Lawrence, one of the most exciting players in the league, and this is only the beginning for them to like, continue to make their name in the NBA, whatever happens. So I think Grizzlies fans, if they lose the series, it's okay. But if they win this series, then look out because things can really happen. So right now it's like the Grizzlies. They're playing with house money, if you will, but it's fun because they're right there with the Golden State Warriors. I think game two is going to be another thriller uh, tomorrow night. Absolutely. He's Evan Barnes. He covers Memphis football and many other things uh, for the uh, commercial appeal uh, in Memphis. You can follow him at Evan underscore B. Evan, thank you so much, and uh, you can expect some Zap uh, links uh, uh, at some point pretty soon. Thank you very much, my friend. Take care of yourself. More bounce down, Vinny. Take care, brother. All right, thank you. Uh, that was Evan Barnes from the Memphis Commercial Appeal, giving some nice insight uh, in the Raiders' first pick of the draft in the third round. Uh, Dylan Parham, the very versatile, best best future or, or his best football is ahead of him. Uh, you know, offensive guard slash center. Who knows? He might be able, be able to play some tackle for you. Uh, Evan Barnes, thank you so much. And you are in the huddle with Vinny Bonsier, brought to you by Tequila and Bahada Raider Nation Radio, nine twenty a.m. on a Monday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Yes, cameo. Oh boy, the memories. Uh, The late 70s, 80s. Cameo, Confunction, Zap. It just went on and on and on. The music was uh, as good as it gets. Uh, welcome back to In the Huddle, brought to you by Tequila in Bajo Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Monday. Thanks again to Evan Barnes from the Memphis Commercial Appeal. We're going to go out uh, to the Realty One Group listener line. Guareb is on the line. How you doing, Guareb? Hey, what's up, Vinny? How you doing? Doing good, thanks. Yeah, hey, um... I, I I enjoyed the the draft picks for the most part uh, that the Raiders pulled out this uh, this year, but 
Um, I was hoping that they would actually, like, there was some great value for some cornerbacks around the third and fourth round. And, and um, you know, the reason why, I mean, and I'm just a little concerned why I say that is because I think it would have been a much, a little bit better of a draft pick. I mean, a draft night for, or um, yeah, the whole thing would have been a better draft for me if they probably would have picked up a good, a, a decent third or fourth round corner because, like, I'm very concerned about our cornerbacks and and I actually am still a little concerned about our linebackers. I mean, if like one of those guys happened to get injured, if Mullen or some whoever becomes that that corner that uh, or that ends up getting injured. I'm just like I'm just a little bit concerned that they're thin at these spots, and, and I'm still not really 100 percent satisfied with the linebackers. Um, so like I'm just wondering, what are they going to do about those two positions? Are they going to just stick with what they got in those positions for the linebackers and corners? Well, I mean, when you look at uh, when you look at cornerback, there's really not much of a need this year. Moving forward, there potentially can be. Uh, but you have a whole bunch of uh, young cornerbacks in the system right now. Nate Hobbs, you've got Trayvon Mullen, Anthony Averett, Rocky Yassin, Darius Phillips. Um, you know, so those are and the the, the 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 issue is that all of those guys are going into are essentially on one year contracts. They're all set to become free agents. Uh, but you know, it's a stacked room right now. They don't really need much help. This, this minute, even if somebody were to go down, Darius Phillips has started. Anthony Averett has started. Um, so there's there's depth in the room right now. It's a lot of young depth, but they're young. They're hungry. There's a lot of potential. Uh, I think Trayvon Mullen and Rocky Yassin have the potential, quote unquote, the potential uh, to be a very effective tandem on the perimeter. Uh, Nate Hobbs obviously has been a sensation uh, at slot cornerback. Uh, you're set there. So immediate need I don't really think is that pressing long range certainly uh you have to figure it out because we could be we could come to this point next year and they're looking to replace multiple cornerbacks uh whether guys outplay their contracts or whether guys don't fare very well um that's just kind of how uh they're going to have to look at this but for right now I think that cornerback Long range, yes. Short term, uh, I don't think it's uh, as, as as big an issue um, as as it might seem. Back out to the Raider Nation or the excuse me, the Realty One Group listener line. Matt is on the line. How you doing, Matt? Hey, Vinny. Great. Thanks for taking my call. First time caller. You got it, man. I appreciate you calling. Hey, man. To echo off the last call there, so I totally agree with you. We've got two deep at each corner spot. Three, yeah, I mean, let's yeah it, really three in, in a lot of cases, they're, but they're yeah, go gonna, ahead. Yeah, right? They're going to run Hobbs. Maybe they might give him a look at corner is what I read. Um, even though even though he's a, more of a nickel guy, I read that they may give him some look at corner. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, li- I like that. And then as far as backers, we picked up, uh, what was it, Jam Brown from Titans and then Micah Kaiser um, you know, from the Rams. That's um, right, and, and Diablo's a, a, a cover backer, so, and, and then Perryman's their, your stout dude in the middle. So I, I like it. I love the draft. If anything less than an O lineman with that first pick in the third round, or with our, with our first pick, was was a travesty to me. So they got a versatile guy there, and I love the fact what I read is that they didn't reach on guys because. Maybe they could have used another corner. They they got the best players available, and they got they got some meat up front. 
yeah, I, I agree, and I think uh, I think Parham uh, and Thayer Munford um, and uh, Matthew Butler, the, the defensive tackle from Tennessee. If you look at their projections, they actually went lower than they were expected to go. So I felt like there was really good value there. And again, it speaks to the mandate to draft the best graded players or the highest graded players on their board when their turn uh, comes on. You stay true to that mandate, you're going to end up with a pretty good team. Um, and and it might take a while sometimes, uh, but just collect as many good players as you possibly can, throw them out there, let them compete for jobs, and that's usually the best way to build a team. And free agency, definitely. You go find specific needs with veteran players that can fill holes right now. The draft, BPA, all the way. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsieur, brought to you by Tequila and Bajo, or Raider Nation Radio, uh, 920 AM, live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio.